what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. Thank you to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National and Spiritless. To Dine For The Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. Spiritless supports the conscientious cocktailer who wants to live fully but drink differently. Their signature Kentucky 74 is a distilled non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails. It's zero alcohol zero guilt, and just 15 calories per serving. Whether you go completely spiritless or go halvesies with a foolproof bourbon to lower the ABV in your cocktail, you can get your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use promo code TODINEFOR to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For The Podcast, where we meet the world's most innovative and creative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is the CEO of Ocean Spray Cranberries, Tom Hayes. The mode right now that we're in is moving from what used to be sort of the Norman Rockwell painting, you see, you know, the cranberry sauce on the table, to maybe a little bit more sort of Cardi B. Tom Hayes is the CEO of the iconic American brand Ocean Spray Cranberries. The farmer-owned cooperative has been around for 90 years and is located in my hometown of Lakeville, Massachusetts. It is most famous for its cranberries and cranberry sauce. However, this year the brand has been striking out in many innovative directions, including capturing people's hearts with the now famous TikTok video. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, Tom Hayes is originally from New Hampshire. In fact, he studied psychology at the University of New Hampshire, and his first job was as a dishwasher. So it makes sense that he would bring me back to New Hampshire, to his favorite restaurant in Manchester, called Cotton, to share his career journey and vision for innovating what he calls a Norman Rockwell brand. So of all the restaurants that you could have chosen, why did you choose Cotton? I chose Cotton because Jeff Page is the executive chef. (laughs) You met Jeff when he came in, right? Yes. And his wife, Peachy, and I'd known these folks. Uh, Jeff and I worked together when I first started working. I was uh, a dishwasher at a restaurant called Levi Lowell's, which was three doors down from the house where I grew up in Merrimack, New Hampshire. So today's meal and restaurant choice is a return to how it all began for Tom and an introduction to his longtime friend, Jeff Page. It's really interesting to see how food really can bring people together. The chef and owner of Cotton is Jeff Page. He's not only an award-winning executive chef, he's also the heart and soul of this New England gem. Located in Manchester's historic Milliard District, 
cotton is known for classic New England comfort food in a casual, upscale atmosphere. I really love comfort food and doing it with little twists. So we use high-end ingredients, you know, we use local fish, local scallops, high-end, only American lamb from Colorado, but we do it in real simple ways. Named one of the 10 best neighborhood restaurants in the Northeast by Bon Appetit magazine, Cotton is a true culinary destination. Jeff and his wife Peaches love to serve, and it shows. Whether it's a perfectly balanced martini at the bar or their signature buttermilk fried chicken and mashed potatoes, every plate is carefully crafted. What experience do you want people to have when they come to Cotton? I want people to, you know, to to relive good memories when they come here. You know, remind them of family and cooking at home. And I said that to one person recently, and he goes, well, quite honestly, Jeff, my mom's meatloaf was terrible. (laughs) You know, and I said, well, it's still reminding of your mom, you know, because this is how we all grew up in New England, you know, with these types of foods and to feel like they've been here before. Mm -hmm. And I like people to have a good time. What does it mean that Tom chose this as his favorite restaurant? I told him when he came in today I was honored. I mean, it really means a lot. There's something about picking a restaurant in a place where you grew up that speaks to who you are. What is it about this part of the country that is Tom Hayes? You know, that's a great question. I mean, I think most everybody gets really excited about going home because mm-hmm. they have nostalgic feelings and they just love being around their family and friends. Of course they would. Mm-hmm. But I've moved around the country so much. Mm-hmm. I lived in California, lived uh, north of New York City, lived uh, in Chicago for 20 years. And every time I would go to those places, I'd come back to New England, whether it was for a vacation or to see my folks or whatever. And you just fall in love with it again. I mean, what's not to like about New England? <laughs> you, have, you have everything right here, right? Yeah. You have the city of Boston, but then you have the mountains that are two hours away. You have Cape Cod, uh, where you know Ocean Spray has a lot of cranberry bogs. And it's just a wonderful place to be, and it has so much to offer that it just draws you back. In 1930, Ocean Spray was started by three independent cranberry farmers in New England. And now, 90 years later, continues to be a farmer-owned cooperative, with 700 farmers across North and South America. These three founders, you know, started the company and had this vision that if we came together and marketed our fruit together, we're going to be more powerful. Mm. And uh, they did it. One of them uh, was a woman, Elizabeth Lee, and she is somebody we talk about a lot because she's a real innovator. She developed cranberry sauce, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is uh, we all know and love, particularly at Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was... a uh, a simple idea that she thought, you know, might be attractive. She sold it a couple of times. The grocery stores went in trying to sell, I should say, and didn't get a lot of traction. And then she realized, wow, uh, you know, this is not going to be successful. But she kept on going after it. And finally, you know, she got an order and it took off. But what's special about a co-op is that, you know, you continue to add members as you grow. Mm -hmm. So what started with those three in 1930 is now 700 family farms all over the world. Wow. Uh, Literally. So you have, it's mainly, to be fair, North America, but then we have a grower in Chile uh, in South America. And so New Jersey, Massachusetts, Wisconsin, Washington, Canada, Eastern and Western Canada. And so the co-op is now large, but also I'd say still feels small because we have a, you know, a nice family feel to the organization, really born out of the fact that it's owned by farmer families. And how that special that is, how different it is than really any other company in this country. 
Yeah, you know, the thing that people don't probably know about co-ops is that they can be large, and you know, Ocean Spray is nearly $2 billion company revenue, mm -hmm. but all the money that is made by the co-op goes directly back to the farmer, so it's not a penny that is not you know, theirs. And so different than being working for a public company where you have sort of this, you know, nameless, faceless uh, equity owner at times, you know who you're working for. Mm -hmm. And our team members actually get to see them on a regular basis, not so much now during the pandemic, but normal times they'd be out in the bogs, particularly during harvest and interacting with the families and just, uh, you know, getting a sense of what they're going through, both from a struggle standpoint, but also what they're benefiting from based on the hard work the team does to make sales and to drive you know, a lot of consumer interest and make money mm -hmm. and deliver it back to the, to the growers. Your career has been um, all over this country. You've been in the food business really since the beginning. And I understand that one of your first jobs was in a restaurant. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so that restaurant, it was called Levi Lowell's, and it was a gourmet restaurant. And in New Hampshire, I don't know how many gourmet restaurants there were back in the 80s. You know, mm -hmm. this is, uh, would have been, you know, like 1981, 82. Starting there as a dishwasher, I really fell in love with the business, which is, you know, interesting from a perspective of, well, why would you fall in love with it, you know, just being a dishwasher and sort of growing, you know, through that. It's the pace and the people and those that get involved in this business, particularly on the restaurant side, get infected with the vibe of, you know, the restaurant business. And so even in the kitchen, you get that, right? You have you sort of you're all prepping for the night and everybody's getting sort of excited and then it's on yes. it's like a show and you get you know uh, people get excited they get mad they get frustrated <laughs> and but they all like sort of you know come together through that and oh, it's, well, Tom, it's let me compelling. stop you there because you seem like a very good-natured person and <laughs> let me just tell you I also one of my first jobs was in the restaurant business I worked at Muldoon Saloon in Taunton Mass oh nice and um, to me it's the absolute best training for how to deal with all types of people, especially difficult people, because as a young person, you don't have a lot of negative people coming at you until you work in the restaurant business. Absolutely. You know, it really is a show. Mm -hmm. It's a show that, you know, you have to have creativity. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have a great product mm -hmm. and it's not, you know, fantastic tasting and great looking, you're not gonna get customers back. If you don't put a presentation out there, both with the way that food looks when it hits the table and also how you're serving it mm -hmm. and how the servers are acting, mm -hmm. you're not gonna have you know the best sales. So somebody's gonna beat you uh, in the market. And the other thing is it's a really interesting study on human behavior because you will find that people are under stress, mm -hmm. you know, something that goes wrong in the kitchen, which it you know inevitably does, and then you have a server that's mad because their food's not out on time and there's a lot of high tension. But it's, a, it's a also, you know, when it goes well, it's a really a nicely choreographed sort of orchestra. In the hospitality that you have to give and how you have to make people feel, I imagine that has extended to every job that you've had because you've always sort of been in the food business. Even though your role, you know, now you're CEO and it's yeah. been various roles, but you're still, in a way in a hospitality service business. Always, yeah. and that's a, it's an important thing to remember because oftentimes, and I would say this doesn't just apply to the food business, we forget mm -hmm. who we're working for. Mm -hmm. And we're working, the owners of the company, we're working for them to make money so that they can feed their families, but really you're working in service of the consumer. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have that you know, sort of laser beam focus on what makes the consumer happy, you're not gonna make money, mm. right? And so the, the restaurant business and the food business 
food manufacturing and uh, I don't, it doesn't matter if you're a associate brand manager or the CEO, if you lose focus of the consumer, uh, things don't go well. And so that's, uh, that's unifying. So the parallels are there. Yeah. Your first job right here in New Hampshire, working as a dishwasher, correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah. And, and working, you know, working as a dishwasher all the way to now the CEO of Ocean Spray. It's really interesting when you think about your career journey and is there a theme or a common thread among all the jobs that you've done that has kind of led you to this moment? It's a great question. I, I would say the common theme mm-hmm. has been making sure that you're taking the job really seriously, mm-hmm. whether it's in a restaurant or in a food company or wherever, any job that I've had, you have to do that. Mm-hmm. But you also have to make sure that you're not taking yourself too seriously. Mm-hmm so that people don't perceive you as under stress or not being you know, empathetic to their needs or having some sort of a, you know, edge that is not helpful for making people feel calm and collected and, <laughs> and want to be motivated to do the job. Mm-hmm. And so that, to me, is, is really important. And I've had some great bosses that have uh, demonstrated that leadership. And I've also had some not so good bosses. <laughs> you know, I don't want to do that. Learned from. Yeah, I've learned from that. <laughs> it's been an education. <laughs> exactly. If you had to pinpoint what you think Tom Hayes is really good at, what is really your, your superpower, what would that be? The one thing people have told me that I think is probably true is that I do come off, and you said it yourself, you seem like a very mild-mannered guy, I do have a way to bring sort of order and making sure people are feeling like, okay, we've got this under control. And even in times of chaos, and uh, there can be a lot of chaos in every business. And so I think that's probably something I do pretty well is to make sure that people feel that steady hand in times that could be rough. You're a good manager and you're a good leader. And the manager part of that, that's a job nobody wants. Nobody wants to be a manager. And that's hard. It's really hard to be a manager, to manage different personalities with them. Everyone's, you know, got problems and gripes. And what, what, what is it about you that you said, maybe I have a knack for this? Or why do you think you are good at it? You know, the first time I had a chance to manage people, I was a sales manager on the West Coast of uh, the country in California. I was working for Kraft Foods at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was really uncomfortable being a manager, and I kind of didn't know. Because most people are. Yeah, of course. Yeah, like, yeah. What do I do? These people right. are reporting to me. They're going to look to me for inspiration. And, you know, I thought I would, uh, you know, have this fantastic, you know, meeting that I would get everybody together, and mm-hmm. we'd sort of, you know, strategize. And look at this. Wow. That's amazing. This is the salmon with cranberry butter. Am cranberry I right? Cranberry butter. Look at that, huh? And pumpkin gnocchis <laughs> with mushrooms. And spinach, that looks divine. Wow. Thank yeah. you for bringing it to us. Incredible. Wow. Oh. And, uh, and notice we got a little cranberries in there. I know. Got a that's little cranberries. Awesome. And that's not a plant. That's uh, on the that's, menu. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so take me back. West Coast, you're asked to manage. You don't really want to do it, but take me there. Yeah, and I'd say it, you know, it wasn't so much that I didn't want to do it. What I would... <laughs> say is I had this perception that people are going to be looking to me to be inspired through words that I would say Mm -hmm. uh, versus things that I did. Mm -hmm. And if I were Mm -hmm. to pinpoint sort of what managers, you know, can do well is understand what their team needs and what they don't need. Because sometimes you're really trying to elevate and trying to, and for sure, people want to have 
you know, this this great presentation. I'm not that guy, by the way, with a charismatic, you know, sort of, you know, person on the stage. But they really want to make sure that their leadership has their back, that they are calm under the storm. They can do a good job, make money and sort of be promoted and so forth. And that the company is going to be successful because, you know, the, the manager's got it. And the other thing I would say is people don't like to be told what to do. They like to be invited to bring their ideas and then mm. to hash those out and say which ones are we going to go attack and yeah let's do that and like figure out how we're going to go get it together and you know a lot of times people are very directive and and uh, that's not my style that's really good people mm. don't like to be told what to do they want to be invited that's right and yeah. it's a completely different feel isn't it that sure is yeah I mean, you think about it, um, you have kids. I do. So if your kids say... <laughs> and I'm constantly yeah. telling them what to do, <laughs> right. Tom. I'm well, doing everything they, wrong. Even, even the other way, right? They're like, Mom, I need that. i got to have that. And you're like, do you? Or do you, you, know, do you want to talk about... You, you use your words to talk about what we want I'm to do. I'm going to invite you to clean your room today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, maybe that's a bad example. <laughs> no, actually, this is, could be yeah. good for my parenting. <laughs> so you take on this huge role at Ocean Spray and they are this company that's been around since 1930 and an historic american company but they are looking to move in a lot of different directions and really want to innovate can you give me a sense of where ocean spray is headed yeah so the, the uh starting you know back in 1930 when elizabeth lee you know created sauce you know that was a that was a first innovation i would say juice was sort of natural right you squeeze your berries and get juice but then sort of a long history, or I should say a long runway with juice and sauce and different kinds of juices. And then the Craisin came along, which was sort of a game changer. That was a product that really sort of, you know, set them to the next stage of growth. It's hard because, you know, companies really are fighting for growth. Uh, but Ocean Spray, what I love about the team is they have the absolute will to win. They don't think about just anything cranberry. Mm -hmm. Of course, we do think about everything cranberry, <laughs> but it's not only cranberry, and it's more about the consumer experience. So what can we do that harnesses what the value of cranberries are, which are antioxidants? You know, it's a, it's a great tasting fruit, particularly when combined with other fruits and other products. And, you know, taking that idea and then moving it into, well, where can the consumer allow us to go and where do they expect us to go? We have been morphing over time to taking our innovation pipeline to really be focused on healthful products for sure. But I'd say now we're just over the last several months, we're starting to create more positivity and trying to get you know, where consumers are going to be emotionally attached because it's something that is bringing happiness and positivity to their to their life. It's, it's sort of a tough proposition in a it way is. because you, you want to respect and have reverence for the history of the company, the fact that it has been a, around for a long time. People have a, a love and um, nostalgia around Ocean Spray, mm -hmm. but also wanting to kind of set sail in a whole new direction mm -hmm. that could expand and increase the company in a whole different way. So it's, it's, it's balancing the two, right? It really is. I've said this before, but probably not on camera. The mode right now that we're in is moving from what used to be sort of the Norman Rockwell painting, you see, you know, the cranberry sauce on the table to maybe a little bit more sort of Cardi B, you know, where we have the, <laughs> <laughs> finding, finding our space in between. That's a tough yeah. turn. <laughs> well, Tom, that is, a, that is a very ambitious, <laughs> that's a very ambitious goal. I gotta tell you, the, the team is up for the challenge. It has been so much fun.
We'll have more in my conversation with Tom, but first, thank you to our sponsors. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Now back to our conversation. Can we talk a little moment about the TikTok viral sensation that happened really by happenstance for Ocean Spray that really put you and Ocean Spray in the frame of mind for, of all marketers across the country? It was really amazing. Can you explain it? Sure. The TikTok moment happened, actually, a couple of things happened. One was I got an email from one of our team members saying, hey, have you seen this? And I simultaneously got a text from one of my friends like, hey, dude, have you seen this? Like, <laughs> I'm like, no. Uh, and so actually, I saw the video. Are you on TikTok, Tom? I am now. Yeah. <laughs> you are now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't have any posts, but I, I am now. And so when it happened, there was this collective sort of like people were stunned, like, wow, this is amazing. Holy cow, look at all the likes this is getting. And there was so much engagement going on. And I think also people feeling, well, here's an opportunity where we have a consumer and he's hitting a demographic that we actually, you know, would love to be a part of. And he's consuming our product and he's doing it in a very positive, positive way. And um, and what was happening? He well, was drinking ocean so, spray cranberry juice. Yeah. So if you back up, what happened was he was going to work uh, or was trying to go to work and his truck broke down. And so rather than sort of taking that as, you know, like, like got to walk or got to get a cab or got to, you know, somehow get down about it. Maybe he was down about it, but he didn't show it. He jumped on his skateboard and started skateboarding to work. And then he, you know, was drinking cran raspberry, uh, ocean spray cran raspberry. And of course, playing Fleetwood, Fleetwood Mac dreams on the, on the audio. And our natural reaction was, wow, we should get involved, but how do we, how do we get involved in a way that's going to help? Right. And not try to take over the moment or anything like that. But before you go into that, what was it about that video that you think resonated with so many people? Because it was incredible how many people liked and watched that video. I think if you were to do a, a massive poll on all, it had like 25 billion impressions. Wow. <laughs> Everybody that saw it. The general theme that came through, and we just we heard it and we saw it in a lot of the comments too, is that it was just the positivity. When, so this was in the fall, right? And when things were sort of at their lowest and people were feeling really down. Yeah. And here's this guy that is not letting it 
uh, on top of a bad situation make it even worse. Yeah. He's making it very special and bringing positivity. And so it I think- It was fun. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun, plain and, some and of the, simple. Some of those comments were like, wow, thanks, dude. You're like bringing so much like happiness to my day and, yeah. you know, best thing to happen in 2020. And yeah. so it was it was that. And we wanted to see how could we make the a positive moment even more positive. Oh, that's incredible. And so I think you purchased the truck for him, didn't you? We did. So the, the way in which we thought, well, how can we be involved, but be involved in an authentic way, not just focused on ocean spray, was to buy him a truck because his truck broke down. And so the team mobilized really quickly. I was very, very proud of you know how they went about it. And they had a short period of time to act because you wanted it to be in the moment, but not taking over the moment. So that's what they came up with. And I thought it was a fantastic idea. Let's buy him a truck. Mm-hmm. It was a cranberry red truck mm-hmm. and it was filled with cran raspberry you know, bottles in the back. <laughs> and it was wonderful. He loved it, and it was an amazing, amazing thing. And it was the feeling just kept on going. It was named one of the top marketing moments of 2020. Here yeah. you are, at taking over the helm at Ocean Spray. What a gift, in a way, right, to you. And not only was it a feel-good, wonderful moment, but it did introduce Ocean Spray to a whole lot of people who had never heard of Ocean Spray and a whole new audience. It really did. It really did. It was just wonderful to see. And there's so much, you know, that's blowing up around it. At the same time, you know, what people didn't see was how happy people inside the company were that this was happening to the brand, Mm. you know, because Mm. they do want to go on that journey from Norman Rockwell to someplace else. (laughs) And yeah, so it was great. And then you saw Mick Fleetwood did a, you know, he didn't do it. I guess it was a duet or he did a, a version of it. And that was really compelling and interesting. And, yeah. and ironically, and this was not planned, obviously this whole thing wasn't planned, but it was your 90th harvest season, right? Absolutely, it simultaneously yeah. happened on your 90th harvest season. Yeah. So you're talking about connecting that Norman Rockwell with, with, a, with a very 2020 TikTok moment. There you go. It's incredible, right? Because you think about when would be the best time for ocean spray for this to happen. And in harvest is the best time (laughs) because there's a lot of people posting pictures of themselves in a bog anyway. And uh, it's a beautiful experience. I'm sure you've had a chance to be in and around bogs uh, growing up in Lakeville. But having that experience of not only the 90th, you know, sort of what was happening, which was a special time, it replaced some of the lost momentum that we had because people couldn't come together. We usually have a family day. Uh, we have it in Lakeville at the office and where you have a cookout and you have all kinds of team members coming together. And so there, we lost a little momentum and it was, uh, people were down about that. And then this happened and like, wow, this is our moment now we're going to, and people were reposting and some of the growers were doing their own like skateboarding and bogs. And we had like all kinds of <laughs> things going Everyone's on. Create, recreating the Everyone moment. Everyone's recreating the moment. So it was great. My team asked me to get on a skateboard. And I said, well, you know, I don't know if I can do this. Uh, I haven't done this. Come it on, since. Tom, <laughs> you <laughs> can do it. <laughs> I haven't done it since seventh grade or something. But uh, yeah, I gave it a rip and it turned out okay. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So how important is that company culture to you? You mentioned, it was interesting what you said, because you mentioned the impact that it had on your employees. Mm-hmm. You said at the beginning of this interview that it all comes down to the consumer. But clearly you see the incredible importance of having your employees feel good and have a sense that the company is going in a positive direction. So talk to me a little bit about the kind of corporate culture, the company culture that you want to create. 
you know the uh, culture is a f- um, interesting thing because it's not it doesn't happen overnight it's built over decades and things can happen that create inflection points that can really be inspiring for team members that's I think this was one of them but I'd say that the culture I'd love to create is the company has massive heritage and people love the brand and they have a real sense of pride working for the owners you know they had like I said they see them they know them and they have pride in working for um, everything they do goes back to the growers what they also like is that it's inside the you know the company in the office in Lakeville and, and in the field and in our plants there's a sense of community that you know, transcends from the growers to the plants and to the headquarters office. So the culture that I would like to create would be to harness that, mm-hmm. like so the heritage and the family feel, and use that as a way to say, okay, as we build to next and we love the, the culture we have, where do we feel like we can go further? Mm-hmm. Because the next 90 years are going to be way different than the first 90 years. And if the consumer is going to stay at the core and we're going to be faster in terms of our innovation than the consumer can be, because uh, you've got to move you know, really quickly in order to capture opportunities, to have that momentum to be you know, a key feature, urgency, momentum, and pride without losing nostalgia, comfort, and heritage. And to build off the heritage, I've noticed one of the things that you've done is really highlight the fact that women have been the co-owners or the owners of these farms since the very beginning. And in fact, right now, more than 50% of the farms are female owned. That's huge. It's amazing, yeah, it's amazing. And it's something that people naturally assume that, oh, it's uh, 700 farms, they've gotta be you know, mostly owned by men. There's a lot of men that work in our farms and a lot of men owners. But our women owners are some of the best evangelists for the company because they, work hard they have a lot going on and I would say I would argue that in many cases much more difficult because they're you know also being you know attentive to their family the men are too but the women have to I think function in a different way and level up not to be just there for the farm activities but also their children to see here's my role model mom you know not only doing you know things that she needs to for the farm but also being there for me and uh, and being the owner and dads are there too but I I think that the moms are just there in a different way and so I really yeah, do appreciate how much impact they've had on our team, and we feature that. We try to get our team members and also external stakeholders and consumers to understand that you know, our women owner farmers are such incredible leaders and inspiration for our team regardless of if you're you know, a man or a woman, they really are inspiration. The term sustainability is a huge umbrella that covers a lot of different topics. We certainly don't have time to delve into all of them, but what are you most proud of when it comes to Ocean Spray's efforts with sustainability? Yeah, I'd say what I'm most proud of as it relates to sustainability is, is the never quit. There's a lot of companies that have footprints that need a lot of work. The Ocean Spray footprint doesn't necessarily need a lot of work, but we know that we can continue to contribute and go further. And what do you mean by that? So here's what what I mean. If you think about our three pillars, or just think about our business in general, starts at the farm, goes through a supply chain of, you know, plants and so forth, and then, you know, heads to the consumer. And so we have three big pillars that we work with. One is uh, sustainable farming, uh, which is really easy for us in some ways because we are regenerative. So our product actually, as we farm in the field with the uh, in the bogs with the cranberries, they actually add back. Like we're, they're 
the land is better for us farming than it is, you know, not, and leave it in a better place, and that's really compelling. And so when I say, you know, we're already doing a good job, that's what I mean. But then in the supply chain side, of course, there's other things that we have to deal with that will create uh, greenhouse gases, and we want to make sure that we're paying attention to that. And so we have, at our plants, made an effort to be as sustainable as we possibly can and make sure we go further in the plant footprint. And then the customer side, that's mainly about packaging. So we want everything that we've declared by 2025, we'll have all of our packaging either compostable, recyclable, or reusable. And we've, we've, uh, we're going in the right direction on that. I think we've made some great progress. But the team, because they are owned by farmers and they are compelled in the way that the I haven't seen in my career, they feel like, well, that, you know, just because we already are sustainable, sustainably grown cranberries and we've certified as such, only fruit in the world to be sustainably grown and certified that way. Mm. They're like, well, that's not good enough. You know, we need to go further. <laughs> so and I love it. Like, there's like this continuous improvement mindset around sustainability. And, you know, that's the way it should be. I mean, I really love We'll the never get the there. It's an, we'll it's never a, get there. It's, it's a <laughs> yeah. mountain we will continue to climb upward, but never quite reach. Right. Yeah. I mean, we could be neutral, but neutral's not good enough. We have, should go further to try to actually be, you know, benefiting. And that's why I feel like this is a, an incredible space. I was expecting when I arrived, I mean, there's a lot of um, things that you can do diligence on, you see, and, but you can't really judge the attitude of everybody until you arrive. And everybody's asking, so, so what are we going to do next? Like, how are we going to go further? How can we, you know, address, you know, the, the, the issues that we have at the plant level? And, and we have a, done a nice job and uh, we are not satisfied. What do you think is the best advice that you've ever received? Career advice. The best advice I've ever received, it has depended on where I am in my career and different, you know, stages. I think, oh, I remember some boss said this and some boss said that. But, you know, the best advice I've ever received is what we talked about earlier, which is you can't take yourself too seriously. Like, lighten up. Uh, this is something that's going to affect people if you're feeling down or, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're making it too heavy. It's already heavy enough. Like, don't make it heavier. And so I really do try to, take, to heed that advice. But when you ask the question, the first thing I thought about was because we're in this restaurant, Cotton, and my buddy Jeff owns it, mm -hmm. that we worked for a guy that uh, both of us, he was the first chef at the restaurant where we worked, that his advice would get your stuff done, like get your job done so you can have the time to do more, to think, you know, to have uh, you know, a little bit of fun. And he'd make a checklist and he would give it, of course, I'm sure Jeff does the same thing in the kitchen, you know, here's what we have to do. And we would compete to see who could check off the most things on the so list. So you could have free time on so the end to relax. So free, t free time or even uh, time to do things that we wanted to that, mm -hmm. you know, the restaurant needed and it was just more time that wasn't, you know, based on the task list. So I uh, am very much a task list guy <laughs> I have on my computer. Here are the things that I need to do today and what's the most important thing to do today to win. And uh, so that's, that's something that I'd say not necessarily maybe you know advice as it was you know a method that he he sort of gave us that i sort of latched onto i think you know ceos and leaders of company over the past year have been under so much pressure so much stress and so much you know care for their employees what have you done personally to relax to stay inspired to kind of keep the vision of the company in mind and also, as you said, to not take yourself too seriously during a very stressful and difficult year. Personally, um, I would say I've taken advantage of making sure that when I am 
off the camera, uh, I'm off the camera, you know, because we're all on the camera now. We're all, you know, flat screen, we're all 2D. It's great to be here 3D with you. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what is this? This happen. is so yeah. strange. <laughs> yeah. Here exactly. we are at a restaurant. It's yeah. wonderful. But um, not require people to be connected to that machine if they don't have to be. And so I have uh, my administrative assistant. I've asked her to make sure that meetings are 45 minutes instead of an hour so you have time in between because the way that you know this works is that one meeting is after another and there's no walking between conference room if you're in a headquarters office and so you asked about me personally that's something that I've done is trying to make sure that I get a little bit of space in between sessions so I can be you know attentive and make sure that I'm providing whatever value I can in the moment in those sessions where you know people need me the other thing I'd say is just making sure that when the day finishes, I take inventory of everything because everything is stacked up so quickly. Um, and this is probably not pandemic related, but uh, to come back to at the end of the day and say, all right, what didn't I get to that I need to do tomorrow? Mm -hmm. uh, not put pressure on my people to do more that night. Mm -hmm. uh, some I've worked for bosses that have, we didn't get through the task list, so we got to stay till 730. Mm -hmm. And I try not to do that. And hopefully my team you know, knows that I don't do that. But I, uh, I try to make sure that you know, I give my team space too because it makes me feel better. It sounds like throughout your career, you've taken a lot of notes about good bosses and bad bosses. Am I right? I have. And you've taken that to heart. Would you say, when you think about what you want people to think of when they think of Tom Hayes, CEO of Ocean Spray, what, what does that look like? I would love them to say, we did really well under his leadership. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. I learned a thing or two. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I just felt fulfilled. I felt better. Mm -hmm. And you know, I want people to go home to their families and say, hey, we're doing well as a company. I think we're on the right track. You know, honey, we've, we've, we're having a good year this year. And be happy. Like, that's a, I mean, I really want people to be happy, honestly. Yeah. And so if I can contribute in that way, I, I would absolutely be thrilled. And that's what I do this for. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefor with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National and Spiritless. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. 